right into it. So here goes Raw Demic into the Vortex, Silver, Raven Gaddafi. Here we go. In the arcane underworld of spies, smugglers, and sovereign agencies, everyone is without, is without trust. Many factions play the game, yet a single operative surrounded by enemies lusts to retrieve his armida, pursued by the most dangerous man alive. His benefactor, the Queen, is no longer able to protect him. War is, inevi is inevitable. Let me tell you the story of a Duaney named Tully who floated into a harbor moon hugging the debris of a wrecked vessel, a seasoned sailor with many years traveling sea and stars. He was a sharp man, curious. He also had inquisitive eyes. Wrecked and exhausted, scouring the streets for fresh water and food, Tully found no sign of life. All the taverns and establishments shuddered for the evening. The night was dark and the air still as a, as a dead man's corpse. But down by the docks he heard some distant rumbling. So he figured, you know, let me just go down there and see what's going on. See if I can find something. He found a captain aboard a ship enjoying drinks with the crew. Hey, yo, friends captain leaned over the railing. I know ya. Tully flashed three gold jades at the captain. Intrigued, the captain waved Tully to come aboard. The crew of the Black Dread were seasoned sailors and rough-looking souls of varying colors from different cultures. Tully and the captain held a private parlay inside the quarters. I'm in the... <clears throat> Excuse me. Tully and the captain held a private parlay inside his quarters. I'm in need of a reliable ship. For a dangerous mission. Tully spoke with confidence. My employer <coughs> has urgent need in recovering her cash. Would you do the courtesy of retrieving it for her? A woman? The captain snorted. The captain poured them both a cup of fine vintage and approaching his desk, he handed off a glass to Tully. Then flop down in his throne. Reward? He asked Tully. Tully took a sip of his vintage. Yes. And what are the few most powerful ladies in the vortex? Tully told him. Jahara, said the captain. Gratitude of a queen goes a long way, does it not? Tully imagined. Castles, lands, perchance even a title. <sighs> the captain has seen his fair share of drifters claiming to be part of something bigger, promising gifts and rewards in exchange for assistance. Men hoarding baskets of secrets, presenting themselves to others as friend or ally with the intention of only deception. False promises and illegitimate pacts cultivating the ambitious minds of others uh, but he was no fool money is money so for an agreed sum of 200,000 J gold the captain would assist Tully in retrieving the queen's treasure the black sail the black dread excuse me set sail across the stars at first light but before her perilous journey into the dust of the Azari ruins where Tully claims to have hidden the treasure, the Black Dread needed to be careened and refurbished. 
The ship's navigator reviewed Tully's alleged route by cross-examining his maps, therefore suggesting a direct course from the Elixos to the supposed crash site. In nine days' time, they, were, they reached the Elixos, a graveyard of enormous skulls left over from a past race of which no written record survives where pirates and smugglers have created an enclave for themselves deep within, prosperous and protected, flush with eloquence and exotica, not, to con not the conventional ugly place brutalized with anarchy as men, as so-called civilized men often believed. Here there was order, there was safety, you know. People, you know, didn't harm each other in the streets. It was a good place. It just happened to be ruled by pirates. So, before the careening went underway, the captain permitted, permitted leave to his crew so that they can refresh themselves and, you know, relax. His men were no strangers to the Elskos, especially the quartermaster who wasted no time visiting his favorite whore, Coco, a lovely Negro girl. The quartermaster was a man with loose lips. So, as soon as they finished fucking... He'd always converse with her about this score or that hunt, hoping to impress and win her hand in a marriage should their time present itself. Always showering her with gifts from everywhere, foreign, domestic, whatever, you know, stuff, strange stuff she hadn't seen or, you know, wouldn't get otherwise. She liked him. He was kind and generous. But she didn't fiend for the rank of, of wife or, you know, the need to be saved. You know, she just liked doing what she doing. That was her life. She, you know whatever you know most people think you know somebody needs saving she was her own woman she did what she did and she knew what she was going in life so informing coco about Tully and gold unleashed a chain of events so the moment the quartermaster fell asleep coco slipped on a heavy cloak softly knocked softly three times the wall open. Quickly she disappeared into a hidden passage. The tunnel led to an opening beneath the market square where Coco emerged from a small garden space. And walking towards the edge of the city, Coco met with two wizards, whom she relayed the quartermaster's tale to. Aware and silent, those wizards turned to each other and began to chant an ancient dialogue. Sparks began to flutter. A portal was awakened. One wizard enters and travels beyond to an unknown source. Meanwhile, Tully and the captain observed their arrival. An imperative emissary, escorted by a single bodyguard. Mr. Thatch sat next to the captain, whom he shared a lengthy pass with. Captain and Th Thatch shot the ship with a bottle of wine, telling exploits of the past. Of course, their friendship isn't what it once was, so Thatch's patience was tested. Captain cut away to his reasons for being here. Tully, sitting alone at the bar, was summoned to the table. A friend, the captain insisted. But Thatch looks at Tully with suspicion. I'm told you have something of value, or at least know where it is. Yes. An offer only fools refuse. <laughs> so. Should me or my master refuse, then we are fools? Thatch was puzzled. Bruh, he ain't saying that, just that this shit is too good to pass. 
the captain insinuated. Thatch downs his drink and set it gently on the table. Hmm. Okay. Well, it is not safe to discuss such proposals here in the open. Let me take you to court. He rises from the table. If your proposal is as lucrative as you claim, I'm certain the king will want to hear it too. King? Tully thought. Outside the tavern on a supposed main street, Tully witnessed crates resonant with fruits, vegetables, greens, loaves of breads, and cat wine and wines of cask. Surreperendously laden onto several carts. Planning a feast, the captain Thatcher answered with his vibeless ominous. Carousel of opposition, Thatcher replied. He doesn't sell so much to the Desperation, Tully could no longer hold a secret, obviously. Now, royal servants of the Queen's Narcotics Agency were bound to secrecy, instructed to die for the realm. Tully, by telling him this shit, had forsaken a cardinal rule, exposing not only himself, but opening up a Pandora's box. Because the room had ears, and as soon as Jaharis' name was declared, Coco returned to the market with two wizards, Basuel and Basuel. Plus a Negro man, Casey, sent by the ball. Coco returned to the ball. Coco went back to the ball. And the guys had the guys had All three wearing invisible cloaks. So Basuel covertly boarded the Black Dread while Basuel and Casey ventured uphill to the mansion. Its gate heavily guarded. Luckily, they got there around the shift change and didn't have to wait for them. Everybody was trying to get there. Whatever. So they walked right in. No one knows shit. Sneak around and find a spot. There it begins. Last one sparks up the portal. Casey keeps watching. Greenly into action. Response team comes swooping in. 50 Nightwood Intelligence Operatives 
sexy, inspired, trained so incognito of a man Call him Pipe. Above the rafters in the dining area, you some figures and drop on the Pirate King with, with the captain and Tully. Five Nightbud operatives, five Nightwood operatives head for the storehouse where the Pirate King keeps him burning. Another 20 hide themselves on some meat wagons being carted to the kitchen. Moose and figures kneeling on opposite sides of the rafters to the second stage. Speedboats, notch, and drawn. Inside the kitchen, some carts arrive, some people burst from the wagons. Meat flying about everything. Pirate King, everyone in the dining room, they hear all these distant screams. Loose figurines, they loose that speedboat. They fall through the grasses to the depths of some spikes which spring up from the main floor. Track basically. As the kitchen staff scatters, two in advance to the dining area, two agents from the problem. Disaster, mass casualties, friendlies captured, enemies on the run. From here, I got a break to connect with the central character who's critical to the flavor of this story. Charged by her husband to investigate a theory, she entered the foyer of a red and gold brick citadel, enamored in a black dress of faded silk. Her back bears day. However, this was night, and the candles along the walls of this great long home mystified upon her shoulders as dim lights beautifully sharpened her features to emulate her own ferocity she had hair of gold long and fair but she held the darkest brown eyes ever seen having arrived for an afternoon having arrived for an after hours parlay with one of its leading bankers his secretary was there to work was there working past normal hours as the latter approached As the former approached, sorry, the secretary displayed an intense focus. Samantha, the character I intend to introduce, issued a commanding presence upon entry. A woman of grandeur beauty, small in frame with thick a with thick a booty. The secretary was immediately intimidated by such exotic looks. Samantha said less and presented a card with the select banker's name attached. When asked the reason for her visit, particularly after hours, Samantha pressed the need to open a trust fund for her daughters. Forty minutes later, a banker, tall, handsome, and black of hair, came to greet and escorted her to his office. The proceedings got underway. The 
Expanding upon her story, Samantha claimed to be a widow in possession of some serious coin. She sold the banker the proper documentation and handed him a purse filled with jaded gold. The banker took leave for a secret room, open only with the whisper of a, of a secret language. Alas, Samantha was left alone to, wait, to await his return. She caught a glimpse of this secret vault, glancing at a row of red crystals like pillars on racks of racks. She never saw where the coin went as the doors closed quickly. Samantha observed the office, its interior and all. The banks operated in a great hall with a working space divided by wooden walls like cubicles. They sat behind a desk suited in red cloths and operated on desktop with red cloth. The blood bank. The most mysterious Monday lending society in the vortex was at its prime. And as his name implies, it was a bloody operation wrought in blood magic, sacrifice, and according to some sources, cannibalism. Say a prince or a noble or a merchant felt the need to place treasures in storage for safekeeping or otherwise, or establish a trust for their children, then they do it here at this old institution. If a client wants to make a deposit, he or she must name a beneficiary and offer the bank a drop of his or her own blood to be placed in frozen crystals. Now, should that beneficiary come to collect their inheritance, they, they then must present their own blood to be tested against the blood on file. Only then can their claim be authenticated. Only then can they walk away with jewels and coin. It must be a blood relative. No one else. So, the Lady Mikey, dubbed by friends and enemies and admirers and historians, was born Michelle Dion Fontaine, advisor, confidant, and chief proponent. The wife of Lord Raven Knightwood. Devoted to him and his cause, his most formidable asset and valuable naturally being a woman, you know, prevented her from taking any formal office. But due to her display of genius, you know, she got a seat on the council nonetheless. Now, Lady Mikey at this time happens to be this Samantha. So basically, she went in undercover. Raven Knightwood applied every angle possible to reacquire the missing jaded gold. Had he apprehended his adversaries earlier, then it, then it is likely the main suspect would have been forced to not only reveal the location of the embezzled funds, but dissolve any trusts and withdraw the gold from the blood bank. Unfortunately, it was not that simple. It was a delicate matter because the blood bank, you know, had their own way of doing things. As I said, you had to be a blood relative, king, queen, whatever, didn't matter. So, Nightwood, Raven Nightwood, that is, could not legally obtain any gold through a warrant or subpoena. Especially without Queen Jair's blessing, you know. 
So nothing could be returned to his coffers, you know, or hers for that matter. See, Raven donated large sums of money to the Queen's Narcotic Agency until whispers of corruption bled his ears. Raven ex executed an investigation which sent adversaries, including the director of said agency, into hiding. Every wizard was embedded with a personal code, like an email, a signature, a record of every portal he created or traveled within the past, whether it be past or present, as a matter of fact. The ranking wizards held an enclave in Nighttown, the center of Raven Nightwood's base. After the failed raid on the Elliscoes, a distress signal was received from Lazarel to them, pleading an immediate rescue. Coordinates pertaining to the whereabouts of the rogue agents and the treasure were also included. This was the time. A copy of the transmission was hurried to Augustus Rowland of the 4th Division, who immediately assembled a swift response. He only took a faction of his fleet, which was about 100 ships. Set course, prepare the dukes for portal and send word to Lady Mikey, he said. Roland divided the forces. The ships were to engage power fleet while scoops filled with landing parties would scull to the frozen shores intent on reacquiring the gold. However, it was a military operation. Nothing ever went as planned. Roland emerged from the portal with a hundred ships to discover no more than five ships, sh five ships on the opposing side. He smiled with conf confidence, declaring, This will be an easy exchange. Tell Kettles to rally the landings. Roland decreed a heavy wave of force to stomp out the enemy ships. Once the fleet was engaged, Kettles and his landing parties would dispatch themselves in scoops to the shoreline and meet the remaining opposition. On the shores, amidst the Halloween winds, Tully and his agents were seen consolidating the chests of gold. Some had even been loaded, on, loaded aboard. Soon as they spotted the Nightwood fleet, Tully got anxious. He instructed his men. Remove the chest quickly as possible. Where? Tully bounced his head around. There. Pointing to the interior, the uncharted and untamed wilderness. An eternal snow blanketed this dying moon. Home to flesh-eating and frozen-footed presences. Dwelling in caves and underground hovels. His decision to run and hide split the men, with half considering a surrender rather than succumb to the monsters from within. Telly had no belief in Frostworld's foul mythology and pressed his men to follow orders. Again, they advised Tully to surrender. Keep in mind, he wasn't there the last weeks fighting off strange creatures. 
His fellow agents had endured so much in his absence. Starvation, betrayal, creatures in the night lurking, stalking, hunting. Several agents had gone missing, leaving the rest scared and jumpy. The inclement weather rough enough that the men who lived that the men who lived could not endure again. They violently overruled Tully's campaign. A, ra a raging faction born from the crisis. The agent leading the confrontation, Sir Chambers, reached for his sword and prepared to stand off against Tully and the party loyal to him until the pirates surround and outnumber them. Their grime until their grimy faces looking down upon them amused. The captain motioned forward to Tully. In their travels, these two men had grown quite close, forming a natural alliance. The captain whispered into his friend's ear, These men care little for your beefs. End this now or they will settle, sell you to Nightwood. Because the pirates who were assisting them did not have time for this shit. They saw those Nightwood fleet ships back there coming towards them they said no we have time we got to get up out of here so let's get this gold and go we don't have time for y'all no we ain't got that shit so Tully heeded the advice and extended his hand in peace to Chambers a knife landed in the back of his skull a deadly blow delivered by the captain Chambers's men unsheathed their steel and went for the charge but shouts from the sentries above dismayed the attempt the sentries pointed outward Everyone looked on as the Equalizer approached the flagship of Augustus Nightwood. All hands move! 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 Screamed Mr. Thatch. Get us underway! Fuck it, y'all. I don't want to go. Then go. We're out of here. You won't make it, Tully tried to advise. The captain was like, uh, okay. Hey, Thatch, maybe you want to consider well, I considered turning you over to Nightwood, but didn't. <laughs> Thatch gripped the wheel of the ship. The Allies bid farewell as the agents divided up the chests in a hurry while the pirates scrambled to launch the ships. Tully and the captain wished one another good fortune and broke apart. Aboard the Equalizer, Augustus Rowland stood at the hexagon with his compact, each member positioned at its angle. Together, they reviewed the organic map, which provided a full a full layered image of Froswell. The un The under commanders bickered and offered counsel. Roland stood silently absorbing their suggestions. When a pilot suggested suggested they could easily overcome the pirates. Roland was not so flattered by the idea. He said display can be a seduction can be he said he told him that display can be as seductive as a woman's legs, but that, that but that does not invite you to fuck her. From the dark of the moon emerged a reckoning. Fifty long ships augmented by spike rams no less than a hundred feet long, powered by orange sail. She moved swiftly, one of them moved swiftly ahead under the command of her father, the Power King herself. The Augustus afforded no fear. He was committed. Amused by the King's tactics, Augustus Rowland judged that no response be, no response be birthed. In effect, executing a miscarriage of frustra frustration among his compact. 
So the 4th Division sat in wait as opposition slowly migrated to their boundary. Disturbed by Roland's inaction, a young lieutenant by the name of Flint deployed himself alongside a Vandal Rose without position, without permission of their captain. Piling in several small galleys, they sped ahead. At which point the king swallowed the bait and launched a single longship against them. Roland and his compact watched events unfold from the hexagon. His council advised he issue a warrant to oust the rogues, but I mean apprehension was, apprehension was negated. But I mean I guess you could say a, decla a declaration would dispirit any who wanted to follow their example. The hour waned. On the shores of the cold moon, Tully and his men continued their offload. Originally, the captain and him agreed to a 10% exchange back when they, you know, first first uh, set all this up. But, you know, with the, with the failed raid and everything on Ellisco's, they had to up it to 20%. At which point, another 40% was dictated by the Power King himself upon aligning with Tully and his agents. As a result, the agents kept the remaining 40%, concluding to a sum of well over still a million dollars, enough to return to the Queen and fund the now impending war. Believe me when I say no man here is right. Each justified by his own means. An investigation. An investigation into a company of rogues without the Queen's consent was still a rogue investigation. The Code of Raven Nightwood may have expanded the situation. Certainly, though, a far greater source ignited the epidemic and revolutionized the vortex. All of which landed right here on this cold-ass moon. Here, where the battle to birth wars begins. Here, where fates intersect. Rolling himself in a perilous position from where strategy offered no manifestation. Here, he could tame it to his favor. In the north, Tully, his agents, and five allied ships, including the Black Dread, guarded the coast. To the east, lay the impending opposition in his fleet, and the rogues sailing into its jaws. Two fronts. Naturally, this required a commander to divide his forces. Roland refused. He would not be exposed. The vanguard was put on high alert, whilst the other legions aboard their ships ready for battle. The Nightwood Armada was a supreme force with a shocking weaponry, phasenatic vessels supported by strange zealots. Flint and his rogue gallery. Flint and the rogue galleys were met by the lone ship. Her archers deployed a volley of arrows, only to be deflected by Negro shields. Upon close quarters, those same Negroes tossed shields aside and fired dozens of those shock weaponries, including a speedbow, a device which loosed 20 or more mini arrows at once. The king's longbows were shattered, heavy casualties, soon as those ranks were filled, soon as those ranks were decimated. Forgive me. Flint and his comrades popped purple smoke to cover the act of infiltration. With grappling claws, they scaled the rails of the ship and came aboard with fury, slaughtering pirates as they went, sparing none. Flint had secured the longship, as Roland predicted. Over at the hexagon, the Augustus cracked a smile. Was it all his plan? Who knows? 
execute the vanguard to engage the sh execute the vanguard to engage the ships guarding the coast. Have mortar teams attached and await my command. Field marshals Addy and Dobbs take the third and rear quadrants and follow Lieutenant Flint, but keep in mind of the Rams. Mortars are your best chance, so use them. Only then can we board. Squadrons dispatched and deployed to forget. Vessels smaller than the Necromancer Titanic's, but slightly larger than the King's long ships. The frigates had no rams, but were packed with mortar teams and supplied to the T with smoking range yards. Flint's captured long ships acted as a knight of sorts, moving ahead. The frigates. The frigates. Moving ahead, the frigates. His men at the stern firing off speedboats left and right while launching mortars down the center from the mast. The frigates pulled up alongside and followed suit. Once the sterns and topside decks of their opponents were in frenzy, the same frigates did 180s drifted to the side and fired off mortar after mortar after mortar. Launches, de launches deployed and set forth to board as the mortars battered the king's fleet. Meanwhile, the vanguard suffered a, a grievous ambush. When longships carrying the same rams jumped from portal and ran over the frigates. Speedboats. Speedboats and mortars were powerful devices, so as a so a staunch fight did ensue. Enough to delay Lady Mikey's arrival, who when portaled in, who when portaled in, smashed the fleet that am smashed the smashed the fleet that ambushed the vanguard. Down below. Thatch and his five ships were preparing to get underway. Time was running short. Her flag, Mikey's flagship, flagship, Loud Line, was swift. Piloting the ship herself, she held rare capabilities, which allowed her to circumnavigate to the front from where she passed control and met up with Kettles, who managed the special divisions, including divers and surfers. Negroes serving under this assignment were specially assigned, were specially trained to brave dead space holding breath for long minutes, hours if need be. A segment of infiltration designed to deceive, construct, corrupt, and destroy. Leading an excursion of divers, Mikey, Kettles, and two dozen divers swam through the stars, far from the eye could see, sneaking through the hulls of two of those five ships guarding the coast, killing those below with immediate engagement and no recourse, making their way through the belly of the beast while comrades scaled the hull from the outside, up through the throat and over the rails, the pirates taken unawares. Thatch caught up in watching the vanguard. Being beaten, felt a shadow watching him, and when he turned around, Mikey was there, blades drawn. She engaged easily, and with the use of cold blood, she she decapitated Thatch. Then three, four, and five more pirates attempted to kill Mikey. In retaliation. But she impaled him. Slaughtered all of them. Control of the ship was annexed under Nightwood authority. 
and Mortis bombarded the King's second surprise fleet allowing the Vanguard to recover and into triumph. The initial fleet, the one under the command of the Power King himself, turned away in retreat. Roland sent word not to pursue. Tully and his agents disappeared into the interior. The battle was over. Lazarel, Lazarel perished in the explosion, so they believed. His lifeline flattened. His signature defaulted. He was assumed dead. And this victory was a nightwood victory, but it wasn't a total victory. The Power King withdrew. With reports have him seen last hobbling home, licking his wounds. Tully seen running off into the interior. The pursuit was too dangerous. The land was too unknown. Roland laid anchor and made camp on the frozen made camp on the frozen shore, but then complained of the cold and decided to stay aboard his flagship. Command of the ground forces defaulted to Mikey, who had no problem with the cold, it seems. Upon completion of building camp, Roland and Mikey directed a war council with the other under commanders. Roland and Mikey shared a fragile alliance, I guess you could say. Because, I mean, remember, she has no traditional military rank, so Roland's like, why the fuck are you here? But she is useful, you know. So yeah, that's that. So stay with us next time. I'm not good at outros neither, but all I can say is this story, Dishonor Among Thieves, sets up something, and we shall see how it goes. Thank you for your time. This is Timothy Mason. You can call me Raven the Ruin, Raven of Legend, Raven Legends, Raven Gaddafi, whatever's got Raven in it. So y'all see y'all later.